BMG Partners and 1494 2AY presents The Journey Podcast. The stories you're about to hear are true. They shine a light on the events and incidents, known and unknown, that have shaped the lives of the Albury-Wodonga region's most intriguing personalities, local legends and unsung heroes. So sit back and enjoy. Joining me this time around on the journey is Carla Conway, the Artistic Director and CEO at Hot House Theatre here locally. Welcome, Carla. Thanks very much for having me. This will be fun because I don't know anything about you. Um, And these journeys, that's the best way I find they operate. So let's start, as we always do, your heritage to the area. You've been here for a few years now in that Hot House role. Mm -hmm. Um, How have you landed to be here in that role? Um, Well, I moved initially from Canberra. in 2019 and I came because I got offered the job at Hot House Theatre as the Artistic Director and CEO. Uh, it was a bit of a um, uh, an opportunity I think for my family for us to have a bit of a, a tree change and, and, and live somewhere differently. We've never lived in regional Australia before so that was um, really attractive and yeah I came mid-year about Six months before the pandemic. (laughs) Great time to start a new job for anyone that (laughs) had to do that, particularly in an industry that requires people to gather Mm. uh, together. So let's admire the tree change for a little bit Mm. because as somebody who's grown up in this region, I always take inspiration from others and what they admire when they get here or what motivates them to do the tree change and, and, and how they embrace it. What are your initial thoughts and has it been what you hoped it would be? Yeah, well, I mean, I think when um, when it looked like the job was a possibility on the horizon, I said to my husband, I think we should go for a weekend before I go for this interview and just stand in the space and f- feel whether we think this is a place that we could live. Um, and so we came with our um, children down for a weekend and just explored uh, with no real agenda. We just drove places and um, uh, came to Gateway Island to just be at the theatre and just to see what that felt like. And um, there was a particular moment when I walked around the back of Hot House Theatre and it opened out onto the Murray River. Mm. And I just stood for a moment in that space just thinking like this is living, (laughs) just being able to actually walk out the back of your office at lunchtime and sit on a beautiful park bench and admire the view and the river. I always, I I love rivers, rivers and lakes, I think very uh, important to me. And um, yeah, it just felt kind of divine that the universe had put this river around the back of the theatre. A love at first sight sort of moment. Yeah, it was a bit of a moment. Yeah, had a bit of a moment. Yeah, great. And so... As I mentioned at the start, you're the CEO and artistic director for Hot House. Now, people would admire a CEO's role and what they do, but explain a bit more about how that sort of position works for you because I'd imagine that's quite varied. Yes, it's it's effectively two full-time roles. They're two completely different uh, responsibilities and yet they feed into each other really well. So I guess they're a natural marriage. Um, the The... The role of the artistic director is to set the artistic vision of the company um, and the role of the CEO is to oversee that the strategic plan and the objectives of the company and the mission are, are kind of adhered to in the way in which the business is operating. So to kind of marry our artistic vision 
creatively with our vision, which is to be a regional creative powerhouse and first-class incubator of new Australian work. Um, they Those two things as an artistic director, to, to meet that brief is actually... Um, quite a match made in heaven they're not the easiest of roles all the time because they're quite time demanding in both ways um and some really need my attention more on the administrative level but then there's also a kind of a beautiful tension that also plays about getting out of the office and into the rehearsal room um where you know the real action happens so there is um yeah i think things that I love about both of the roles and you know like all people we always wish we just had more time more hours in the day (laughs) so uh we'd usually talk about that a little bit later on how do you go juggling that and you mentioned family and things like that how do you go that work-life balance oh look that's uh I don't always get it right Mm. um often not but I think, you know, it, it, it's a vo- bit of a vocation job for me. So you're sort of propelled by your purpose more than um, than than most other things, I think. So that that's a pretty deep wellspring when you have to um, juggle a lot of things that when you've got that coming uh, behind you, it feels like you can always just keep moving. Um, that said, sometimes you just have to put it away. Mm. And um, and be at home and be present. And I think also being able to put things away allows time for processing. And, you know, when, when you're trying to juggle a lot of things, sometimes you just need things to settle and then the answers will emerge for you. So trying to actually carve out that time is always a challenge, but it's a commitment. That's so true. So when you get that time away, that time that's down, mm-hmm. um being regional now, have you picked up any new hobbies or anything like that? How do you fill your time when you're not working? Yes, well, I turned 40 a couple of years ago, smack in the middle of the pandemic, and um, and I got a kayak. So I, um, I, you know, I was sick of standing on the side of the river. I wanted to be in the middle of it. And so I, uh, yes, I started to do a little bit of kayaking and I love it. It's just... Yeah, my boat just burst. I had a big in, sort of inflatable boat. I just took it to Lake Sample on the weekend and, and had my first little puncture. And, um, yeah, so now I'm getting into boat fixing and all sorts of things that I never, ever thought that I would, I would be doing. So, yeah, I love, I love spending a, a bit of time on the river when I can. So you're truly at one with nature. So the, the, the whole sort of tree change is evolving into being a way of life more than anything else. Trying to be. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it, it, I don't get to get on the river every week. But, um, yeah, when the opportunity comes, it's like dive into it. It's good. And it's nice to take the kids. I won't take the kids on the river just yet because they're little, five and seven. Mm. Um, but out on the lake in Beechworth or something, and they're loving starting to, like, get into a bit of outdoorsy things as well. So, yeah, it's nice to start introducing things in the world to them and just seeing how they respond. What do you consider to be your biggest achievement in life so far? Oh, God, that's such a terrifying question. Um, Look, I think I've been thinking about achievement a lot and um, I think the thing that I'm starting to learn is that achievements don't always equal happiness. (laughs) And, um, And so I think my current biggest achievement is starting to let go of the idea of defining myself by achievements. Um, In saying that, there are many things that I'm very proud of. Um, Proud of my kids, they're cool. Um, And they're growing up to be 
most excellent humans. Um, but there's a you know there's a group of artists. I, I used to be the artistic director at Canberra Youth Theatre, and um, there's a group of artists that came through that um, that period of time with me that are now kind of out in the world in the industry making you know amazing strides and I, I think I take quite deep personal satisfaction from um, from being a mentor and a guide to young artists and then seeing them exceed their own expectations mm. rewarding it's very rewarding and is it a tough industry at the moment like in Australia like what's the footprint like uh, yeah I mean the arts has always been a tough industry I think it's a very competitive industry and I think it's an industry that people don't really understand and certainly on a political front we have, you know, you know, we've had situations in the past where Prime Ministers have described our industry as a nice-to-have and yet, you know, I think the pandemic was a perfect um, moment where people realised how important the arts were in their life because, you know, they were consuming sort of TV shows and films and there was time for reading books and watching live theatre on streaming and listening to music and dancing in the house because there was nowhere to mm-hmm. else to go do it. Like, actually, it's just, it's so embedded in every part of our life. But then sometimes we sort of take that for granted. And so as an industry, um, yeah, the arts has really struggled. I think we're one of the first industries to close down, obviously, with... Um, with the restrictions through COVID, um, you've had, you know, at times nearly two years of like really disrupted connection with our community and with our audiences. Um, we certainly have not recovered as an industry and uh, there is there is much work to go. And, you know, like all industries, um, trying to actually maintain a level of investment and funding to sustain the work um, is hard. But on a mental health front, I think, you know, we're seeing sort of one in... Um, one in four arts industry workers um, with suicidal ideation mm. or, um, or or attempts um, the mental health load of being an artist and defining your identity by your practice and then not being able to practice for, you know, six months, 12 months, two years um, has really taken its toll as well. So I think it's um, it's you know, slowly trying to climb out. I think the challenge for us is the idea of, you know, we speak a lot about building back better, but in in many ways it feels like we've just built back mm. um, and I think we're still working on the what better looks like. Yeah. The busyness of life, I'm thinking there's a sort of correlation between, because you talk about how we've just built back to where we were, there's a correlation around... When we stopped, everyone enjoyed it and thought, why am I so busy? And then I think we can all say now we've managed to make ourselves busy again. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder what impact that's probably had on the arts industry even prior to the pandemic in terms of seven-day trade and the busyness of life and kids and family and two working parents and things like Mm. that. The chance to stop and appreciate appreciate a talent might be diminishing in society. I um, I think people are spending their time differently. That's that's definitely true, um, and at the same time, I think what we've what we've noticed is you know we've had a sort of a slow growing back of the audience, and um, and we just had Bungambrawatha last uh, week, which was our brand new First Nations work, which is about the stories of our elders and communities um, acknowledging the 50th anniversary of the Aboriginal Family Resettlement Scheme. Um, 
And it was, um, you know, a massive success. We had big houses for every show. The community came out in droves for that work. And I think the thing that um, that we realise is that uh, people are interested and they still do want to engage in that stuff, but they care about local, mm. um, you know, and I think that's one thing that we have seen that the industry has actually turned quite hyper-local um, and even even sort of Sydney Festival, but because they couldn't bring anybody in to the country, had to, by necessity, do an all-Australian program. And the program was wonderful. Mm. <laughs> and I think we sometimes have this um, idea in Australia that it's only good if it comes from somewhere else. <laughs> and, um, and I think that's something that my hope is that the pandemic has really disrupted for us, is that actually we can have greatness where we live and you know we have great artists in this region and Aubrey Wodonga's I think the thing that's so fascinating for me as an outside person to Aubrey Wodonga is that as a regional centre this is um, an incredibly rich artistic and creative industry in this in the in in Aubrey Wodonga because we have this hot house there's flying fruit fly circus we've got mama we've got um, Murray River Fine Music we've got Projection Dance Company um you know, every discipline represented at a national professional level um, and companies punching above their weight nationally. And this is such a rich area to live in as an artist. And so, you know, my hope is that the community continues to see that that hyper-local investment in coming to see work by artists in this region will give them, you know, still incredible experiences. And we talk about people that, sort of you know, the whole idea of the journey is what sort of keeps you going, what inspires you. You're, you're clearly passionate about what you do for a living, which is great. But who are people that you look up to that you admire? Um, I think the people I look up to and admire are not necessarily in my industry. Um, you know, I um, uh, my sister is an incredibly disciplined person. Um, she was a footballer and she played for the Perth Glory and played for Australia. So she had a, a you know, a, a massive just discipline for achieving her sport. And then when her career changed because of in- injury, um, she went through a really quite um, difficult recovery period on after, after a big knee operation. And, um, and she's the kind of person that, you know, when you go to the physio and they go, you're going to do these exercises three times a day and you go, yep, I will. <laughs> and you do it for the first day. <laughs> and then by day three, you're like, what were those exercises? And she's like, I'm going to stop and get up from this cafe where I'm having a coffee because I just need to go and do these. <laughs> 20, 20 reps. 10 of things. <laughs> um, and I wish I had that level of discipline. I'm a bit more of a chaotic, creative, <laughs> bounce off the walls, let's see where we go kind of person. Um, and, I do, and I do admire that. I do think that that's a, that's a skill I wish that I'd had. <laughs> but we are all different and that's we, okay. <laughs> we are all different. Um, do you... Have any good quotes that come to mind? Do you have any sort of mantras or anything oh, you put on life yes. that, you know, some advice that you might have been given? You go, you know what, that's me. I'm going to use that. Yeah, I've got a few. There's a few, a few little things that I, I, um, that I live by quite strongly. I think for artists and also for myself, there's this, um, 
beautiful picture that I have and it's a really simple drawing. It's like a circle that looks like the earth and a little circle that looks like the moon and in the earth it says your comfort zone and in the moon it says where the magic happens. And, um, and I think that's always a really good reminder for me to sort of really push push myself and push the boundaries. And I think when I'm, when I'm making work or I'm choosing work that I want to make, um, I have learned to go for the piece that scares me the most um, because that's where the learning will happen. That's where the real growth will happen. Um, but a big, I guess a big one for me is um, a Wendell Berry quote, mm. and I've had to call on this one a few times in my life. Um, it's called The Real Work, and it says, um, let me see if I, I don't want to paraphrase him. It says, when you no longer know what to do, that is when you've come to your real work. And when you no longer know which way to go, then you've come to your real journey. The mind that is not baffled is not employed. It's the impeded stream that sings. So when you're in those moments of just like, what am I going to do? I don't know what to do. You know, those real, and we all have them in our lives and they might be work-related, they might be home-related, personal, whatever they are. I think that's that's one that sort of um, sustained me and and gone, no, this is the where we're, we're, we're exactly where we need to be. We're doing exactly the work we need to do and breathe and get into it. So, yeah, that's a good one for me. I, I knew an artistic director would have a fantastic quote to share. <laughs> I just knew it out of all these journeys over the years. I thought an artistic director will have a be- beautiful one longer than what most people remember and you've just done a beautiful job. So, well uh, that's no, great, Carla. Um how do you go with tough decisions? Have you got a tough decision or two that stick out in your mind in life that you go, geez, now what's going to happen there? <sighs> yeah, I think, um, you know, when <clears throat> when I, for much of my teenage life, I, I wanted to be a lawyer. I was very fascinated by the law. I used to watch a lot of law TV shows and just really admire the big battle. Of the, of of the courtroom, and um and and then I went to do a work experience when I was in year ten at a law firm, <laughs> and I, by the end of day one I was like I'm out. This is not for me at all. It was a complete like yeah drop. Years of vision and dreaming was gone in a day because I was like this is not my environment. This is not right for me. I was bored. Um, and it wasn't all the drama that you saw on the TV. It was like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I came home and announced to my parents that I, um, I was like, I think I'm going to do theatre. So when you've had a, you've had a daughter that's been like, going to be a lawyer, I'm going to be a lawyer, I'm going to be a lawyer. And I'm like, I'm going to throw that away and now like, go, go for the stage. Um, I think that was kind of terrifying for my my parents, and uh, they were <clears throat> not initially very supportive of that at all, as you, you know, could understand. I think there was, you know, there was a lot of fear. They didn't really understand the industry. It didn't feel like a very stable industry. And, you know, they were always wanting me to be independent and earn my own money and be able to make my own way in the world and not rely on other people. And so I said, well, I'm doing this. And there was, you know... Many many battles and arguments, and I and despite that, um, I sort of stuck to my guns. But then there was this point where I realised, oh, like I've said, I'm going to do this now. Like if I don't actually make it, then I've just vindicated everything that I've just said. Mm. And um, and so <clears throat> I think to actually stick to my guns was the tough 
decision because I think the easy thing would have been to go, oh, okay, I'll go find something else. Um, and that's, you know, I, I think it was it was it was emotionally a difficult decision as a 17 year old um i took myself off to the us i you know it was like i was so driven by this need to have to like do it and make it um and i've just sort of realized that um you're on a, you're on a journey and you sort of life sh- shoes you in a in a particular direction and and that moment was so formative for me because I've actually sort of had to build my own road. Like the, as a as a young emerging artist in Perth, there were no youth theatre companies. There was no mentoring program or funding opportunity. Like those things mm-hmm. just didn't really exist for me when I was coming through. So <clears throat> I think it sort of forged uh, a steeliness in me to to build my own path. And and you know I've built my own sort of yellow brick road along the way. And I think so much of the work that I love to do with emerging artists is then inspiring them and kind of building them up to be able to do the same, like to feel like you can actually just forge your own. I was going to say, now that makes sense, what you said earlier about the youth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And you spoke about sort of a choice there. Um, Sliding door moments is another thing I often get people to reflect Mm. on on the journey. Um, That sounds like one of them, but is there anything where you've sort of stopped and thought, what if I hadn't have done that or what if I took that instead or... Uh, No. Not in that way, I think. Mm. Um, I've certainly, I, I've, I mean, I certainly had a quite formative moment when I was at NIDA. Um, I was, um, I went, I went, I actually had a teaching degree and um, I taught for five years. Um, I was a head of performing arts at an all boys school in the hills in Perth, um, which was part of, I guess, appeasing that. Um, that fear in my parents was like, I'll do the drama, but I'll also do the teaching and then I'll, you know, do my year and then you'll blah, blah, blah. But actually I ended up really loving it. Um, (laughs) And I, yeah, I taught for five years. Um, And so I I returned to sort of pursuing my career as an artist um, in my late 20s and I had an opportunity to be the assistant director on Jerry Springer, the opera, at the Sydney Opera House um, with a director that I hugely admired and who's had, you know, a career all over the world. Um, I was a big music theatre kid um, and, you know, this director had directed on the West End and I felt like this is the light, like this is you, you know, that's that's what I want to be. And... She took me for a coffee one time during rehearsal and I said to her, you've got the CV that I would die for. And she goes, yeah, but I also then found myself at 54 living out of a suitcase in a hotel room, no family, no loved ones around me. I just got fired by one of the biggest music theatre directors in the world after being their right-hand person for 10 years. Mm that we disagreed over a casting decision and I was let go like that. Um, And she found herself at home back in Sydney contemplating taking her own life. And I was like, that's not where I thought that was Mm. going at all. Um, And at the time, my my husband now, who we weren't married at the time, we'd been together about eight years when I went back to NIDA, he... um, didn't really want to live in Sydney. And so it was this kind of thing of going, well, 
here's where here is here's what it is. I'm in the opera house. I'm plotting a whole act by myself. I'm with this director who I love in this work and you know, and I have a, a, a partner who does not want to do the Sydney and Melbourne thing. And I came away from that conversation, um, you know, going, I, lo- I love it, I love all of that, but I don't want that at the expense of family. Mm. So. Yeah, smart decision, I think, uh, if, if you've learnt anything from the person that you respected so well. Yeah. Um, if you had your time again... Like, say you got to go back to 20 or 17 and you go, lawyer. <laughs> no, if you, I would say, if you had your time again... I'd be giving them hell. What would you do differently? <laughs> or would you do anything differently? Are you happy and content with the decisions you've made? No. I mean, I think things have happened how they've happened because that's how they were meant to happen. So, if anything, I would try try harder earlier to carve out that time balance, life balancing. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of things that I enjoy to do outside of the theatre. And, um, I like, you know, the kayaking is quite a new thing for me. But um, I also played roller derby. <laughs> and um, I, played, I played roller derby um, <laughs> for a number of years. Um, respectably Carla Conway by day, but Carlotta Carnage by night. <laughs> um, and... Um, but it's a very demanding sport and, yeah, if I had a little bit more time, I would love to, you know, kind of get back. I started to do a little bit here, um, but, it, you know, the theatre is a mistress and it, it takes your nights and it takes your weekends. It's not a nine-to-five job and so, you know, sometimes that can get in the way of um, getting that time for your for yourself. So I think that's probably the one thing I would... Yeah, have have fought a bit harder earlier to to make sure that that time is is my, precious and my own. I can't believe it's taken me over twenty minutes to find out about Carlotta Carnage. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fantastic. I'm that's deeply fantastic. deeply competitive human. Um, <laughs> as kids, like think primary school age kids, were often asked, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be? You sort of said oh. lawyer before. Was that primary school? No, age no, 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 no. I was going to be a singer. I was going to be a singer. I was going to be, I was going to be a star, and I was going to have albums and perform to, you know, Wembley Stadium. <laughs> 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 um, and you know, it's definitely, it's definitely still a passion of mine. I, you know, so, again, one of those things that you you put away. Um, and I'd love to kind of bring back, but no, I mean that the singing has always been a part of my part of my life, and um, yes, I always had dreams. I was I was the like sing into your hairbrush in the bedroom, the, you know, the old school like when the great song that you loved came on the radio, mm. and you would have get the cassette in and sync up with the radio to try and like record, record the song. And the announcer would talk over <laughs> the start. And the announcer of it. would talk yeah. over the start. You're like, God damn it. <laughs> um, and then rewind back and sing and rewind back and sing. And yeah, that was that was pretty much my whole childhood. <laughs> and then <laughs> if you could afford the cassette or anything that came with a copy of the lyrics, you'd go to try to sing along yeah. as well if you ever tracked down a copy of the lyrics. Yeah. Um, I guess the other thing you got to think about is that childhood, you know, wanting to be a singer. You might still get there. Maybe Carlotta Carnage is your stage <laughs> name, not your roller derby yeah, name. Maybe. But um, I'm going to see that in the top 40 charts worldwide now. But... Uh, 
hindsight, it's a wonderful thing. It's mm. always crystal clear, 2020. Anything that you would tell your younger you? So advice that you'd say, you know what? Um, this is what I've learned so she's far. She's pretty fierce. Mm. Younger, younger Carla was pretty fierce. She could handle herself, <laughs> I think, reasonably well. So I'm not sure I would... Um, I'm not sure I'd get in the way of that tornado. <laughs> really? No. Uh, I'm quite proud of the young young me. I think, she, um, you know, she had some pluck and, um, and you know, did, did the best she could with what she had always, mm. I think. So, no, I, I, I don't really have um, sage. We, we have this, this perception that, like, adults are the ones that need to give kids advice. Um, sometimes, actually, I think it's the other way around. It's more like, what advice should I be taking from young, yeah. <laughs> young Carla? You probably in remind these moments? yourself to be a child at heart, don't you? Yeah. Every time you watch a, a child's trouble-free life, and, and everyone yeah. remembers that as a kid, you wanted to be an adult. Why can't I do that? I'm not old enough. I yeah. mean, if an adult, you go, can't I be a kid again? I think, <laughs> um, I think that's what draws me to making theatre as well, because mm. I think that the act of creating theatre is an act of play. And, uh, and of playfulness and not, not forgetting our capacity to play. Mm. And I see that in, um, I do see that uh, in, in young people quite quickly that lose their capacity for imagination and for responsiveness. And you go, it, it could be anything. What could it be? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you see, that, you see that drained out of, out of young people, I think, far, far too quickly. And um, yeah, I think. I'd be more sitting here to reflect on um, what advice I should be taking from <laughs> young Carla rather than giving, I think. I love it. Um, so think of the next five to ten years of your mm. journey. Mm-hmm. Do, you know, do you know what it looks like? Are you, are you... Well, <clears throat> I think one thing that people probably don't know about me is I've got a mild obsession with the Apollo space program and, um, <laughs> and I kind of obsessively kind of watch space related <laughs> programs and have um, dreamed of going to space my actually my, my big the big life dream is to be um, living on an international space station when some emergency happens and I have to put on a pressure suit and go outside and fix the problem otherwise the whole thing's gonna blow up um, I dream of that um, so I think uh, trying to find a bit of time to uh, to, to get over and spend some time at the Kennedy Space Centre <laughs> would be in my next five to ten year plan. No, look, I, um, I'm really passionate about stories that um, prove that when the world works together, anything is possible. I think that's what draws me to the Apollo space mission because mm-hmm. it was NASA's most successful failure. Mm-hmm. Um, it... Um, <clears throat> uh, for those of you who don't know, they were on their way to the moon and they had a big, big explosion and then had to figure out how to turn the ship around and, and, and get the uh, and, and get the ship home. And <clears throat> the the thing that was so extraordinary to me when you watch, um, w- you know, you recount uh, the story from Jim Lovell, but then you, you know, there's the movie as well, which you get to sort of get a visual aspect of it. Is that you just see this incredible room of humans pull on every resource that they have and every skill and piece of knowledge that they have and work together to solve problems. And I'm working on a play at the moment called All the Shining Lights 
Um, and it's about the Great Ivor Rescue of 1934. Um, and I think the thing that captured my imagination about this story when I heard it first um, when I arrived on the border was it was exactly that moment. It was like all the people of Albury-Wodonga who just responded to the call and used everything that they had and that all the resources and I've got a car and I, I know Morse code and I can get into the power station. I'm a radio presenter. Mm. I will use everything everything that we have as a community to solve this great problem, which was, you know, that this plane needed needed a, a place to land. And, um, and, and the people of Albury did that and I love that. So I think for me... They're the stories that are really driving me and they're the stories that I'm really on the hunt for because I think we've got so many global problems that we're experiencing. Um, we've got conflict, we've got war, we've got poverty, girls' education, climate change. Like all of these things feel at times insurmountable. Um, but I think what these stories like the Apollo mission or what you know the, the Ivor Rescue teaches us is that like we actually can solve all these problems if we just pull on all of our resources and put our rubbish aside and um, and work together. So they're the things that I think it's become clearer to me that that's, that's the work that I want to be really pursuing. That's fantastic. Um, let's, let's start towards wrap up with mm. a couple of fun little short ones. Right. And, and these always get a varied response. So you, Oldie bit of goodie, able to invite three people to dinner, alive or dead, mm, of your mm. choice. Who would you have at the dinner table with you? Heston to cook. <laughs> <laughs> Bring a bit of Wonka magic yeah. to the table. Um, I'd love to I'd love to sit down with my grandparents, my, my nanny and granddad Conway, who both passed away when I was quite young. So I'd love to have a few drinks with them. Um, and Jim Lovell, who was the who was the the commander on the Apollo mission. Yep, and you'd, you'd solve the world's problems, I'm sure, over at dinner table. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, sweet or savoury on the plate? Oh, when you... savoury, definitely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, this 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 might be uh, answered very quickly and easily. Plans for the weekend? I often say to people, it's an average weekend. What have you got coming up? Um, plans for the weekend, kids in the fruities. Yeah. the uh, Saturday morning routine. And, um, yeah, chill out by the river, family brunch. Uh, get a bit of uh, rehearsal prep in. We're going into technical rehearsals next week, so I'm sure there'll be a little bit of um, mulling over the the old work in there. But um, yeah, coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, uh, even though this is a podcast and a video that people can watch, anything that you can recommend us, anybody who's listening or consuming the journey, that you think, hey, you'd like this podcast, like what, or there's something um, you're, or, or a binge watch of something at the moment. Is what are you into? Oh well, a few things. So I've just binged um, f- uh, for all mankind, which is um, uh, a program that covers the uh, the space program from <laughs> the '60s through to. Um, maybe where are we up to? Maybe the end of the '90s or something. Each season, it's an alternate history. So it starts with what happens if the Russians had beat the Americans to the moon. And so it really explores the kind of the, the, the competition element between um, the Russian and American space programs. But, yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's deeply, deeply satisfying and um, uh, just a great, great show. So that, that's, that's my, my TV binge. Um, I've been watching everything to do... That you know, there's been there's been a massive kind of avalanche of programs around the Thai cave rescue. Mm-hmm. Um, again, one of those stories of the world coming together to 
to solve a, you know, solve and, the impossible. And Australia playing a critical part. And an Australian yeah. playing a critical part. I did consider Dr. Richard Harris at my dinner table, for sure. Um, so, and, and <clears throat> you know, there's 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 about four four different programs out in, in the Thai Cave series and there's a documentary, there's one, a version that has been a Thai-produced version, which is the perspective of the boys, which is a story that none of the others, none of the Western kind of... Um, pieces tell and yet I find that you know a massively inspirational story um and I love you know I'm a bit of a politics nerd and I love Pod Save America um (laughs) those guys are really funny but you know hugely insightful so you know for those who don't know they were part of um the, the three guys who all worked in Obama's administration and um, and when they found themselves on the outer of politics when Obama moved on, they started Pod Save America and they, you know, commentate on American and global politics and, uh, uh, you know, that's always, a, that's always a good listen. Just the name, just the title, Pod Save America, is just <laughs> yeah, it's that's creative in its own. Yeah. Well, Carla Conway, Artistic Director and CEO with Hot House Theatre, you've been part of the journey. Thank you so much for doing that. It's been lovely to learn a bit more about you. Uh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. 